Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel Podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Joshua Stratton. How's everybody doing? It's good to hear. Not too enthusiastic, but that's okay. A lot of stuff going on. Yep, 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 yep. We are going to be playing a game this morning because we're going to be talking about money today. That's right. And to liven it up a little bit, we're going to play a game and have a little bit of theme music with the game. So hit it up, guys. We're going to be get playing a game. I just can't. This is good. Money! <laughs> All right, we're playing a game called Real or Fake GoFundMe Pages. That's right, Real or Fake GoFundMe Pages. All right? And so your job is you got to spot out, okay, which one of these is real and, and decide. Well, you can just basically guess which one is real, which one is fake. So let's, let's try this out here. Let's see one here. All right, this is, this is a, a girl who says, I need cash for my birthday. No one has donated yet. What do you think? Is this real or fake? Real? Real? All right. We'll do a thumbs up or thumbs down. How about that? Real? All right. All right. All right. Let's try this out. It is real. Ah, you can spot it. You can spot it. Okay, how about this one? Need help caps for my car. What do you think? No, no, no. What do you got here? What is it? It's fake. You take it. <laughs> All right, let's say Tim Tebow back in the NFL. Real or fake here? A GoFundMe, they've already raised $12,120. Is this real or fake? All right, what do we got? This is real. Wow, that's crazy. Now, many of you are thinking at this point, like, where does he get all these things? How do we play these crazy games? I have way too much free time. That's the truth. All right, what do we got here? All right, Powerball Reimbursement Fund. <laughs> her, her goal is $100,000, and she's already raised 510 bucks. What do you think? Eh, it's fake. What we got here? It's real. Yeah, that girl plays a lot of Powerball. The Encouragement Fund. This is, an, this is my page. <laughs> What do you think? Encouragement fund. Real? Fake? Let's see. Uh, no, no, it was fake. I know we all wanted it to be real because we're going to go home tonight and try that. Midlife crisis squirrel tattoo. This is actually, uh, this is Dan's. It's not mine. No, no, no. I, we don't talk about my tattoos. No, just, just kidding. 
620 bucks? Real. How about that? Who knew, right? I think, what do I got? Do I got one more in there? All right. Needs help with a car. He's already raised $281,000. What do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down? I want this to be real so bad. What do we got? No, it's fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right. Thank you, band, all right? That was awesome. That was really, now you're all going to be singing Pink Floyd in your head all day long. Money, yeah, it's a crime. <clears throat> we, <laughs> we are talking about money today. And did you know that money is actually, there's a, there's a, statistically, now this is all of us, not specific genders here, but when, when polled about the things that we think about and talk about the most, do you know what it was? Money. Yeah, money matters, right? I mean, money is important to us. Money is something that we think about often. And you know what? Money is something that God talks about an awful lot. In fact, I think Christians sometimes are shocked to hear that money is actually one of the biggest things talked about in the Bible. 2,300 verses on the topic of money. And when I'm saying money, I'm talking about our wealth, our resources, our possessions, money. Jesus speaks about money more than anything else. The one topic he speaks about more than any other topic. In fact, there's like uh, 35, 40 different parables, and and of them, 11 of them, about 15% of them, are about money. Do you know why? Money matters. Our resources matter. And we're in the middle of a series where we're talking about building the future. If you want to build tomorrow, it starts with today. And we have this great vision, right? We have this vision for the church that in 10 years, we're going to be, we're going to be uh, um, reaching 1% of our community. Over 1,030 people, right? 1030 by 2030. That's our goal. And if you really want to reach people, if you really want to make an impact, I think what we're seeing here is that money matters. Last week we talked about children. You want to you invest in the next generation. If you, if you want to truly change, transform and change our community, it starts with our kids. It starts with our kids because they are the future. And they have so much to offer, and they're so valuable. And to take that one step further today, if we're truly going to accomplish our goals, if we're truly going to accomplish our vision as a church, it means we have to get serious, and we have to get intentional about our resources, about our wealth, about our money. The scripture is littered with these discussions. So today, if you would turn with me into the Bible, into Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. It's on page 875, if you're using one of the Bibles here at church, 875. And I want to be honest with you just for a minute because uh, I... 
talking about money is, is probably not what you wanted to come in here at church today. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you, like when people talk to me about my money, I don't really want to hear about it. Um, and I know that this is going to be a difficult thing maybe for some of us. And I, I really pray that you would soften your heart, um, allow God to, to, to work in you. Um, and and I, I can't prove what I'm about to say, but I feel like God truly wants me to share this today, and there's been a battle keeping me from doing that. Um, it's been one heck of a week at my house, just from uh, difficulties, uh, uh, stressors, um, sicknesses. I had the flu. Uh, people were throwing up. <laughs> My wife's grandmother died. And I'm not making this up. It was a crazy week. And, and I, I just felt overwhelming sense. You got to show up today. This is a message that we need to hear. This is the message that I believe that if we grabbed a hold of this, you know, man, who could we become? What could we do? What change would it make in our families? What change would it make in our hearts and our relationship with the Lord? What could we do in our culture, in our community, in the missions work that we're doing? This is a message for each and every one of us. If we're going to build tomorrow, if we're going to make a difference here, it starts with our finances. So with that said, um, I want to read to you a story, and this is in the context, really, of the, the, the parable of the lost sheep, right? It's right in chapter 15, it's right before this, with the, the parable of the prodigal son and the guy going and just wasting all his resources. And then Jesus kind of realized he needs to flesh this out some more, and he talks, he talks about this dishonest manager here, and starting in, in verse 16. I'm going to read the whole thing for you here the whole uh, parable, and it reads like this. Chapter 16, verse 1. He also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that, his, that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is it that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer manage. Basically, you're fired. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I am not, I, I'm ashamed. I'm too ashamed to beg. Here comes the epiphany. I have decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to them, the first one, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of, of oil. He said to him, take your bill Sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? 
He said to him, a hundred measures of wheat. He said, take the bill, write 80. Then the master, he enters the scene again. He commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Say what? For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. One who is faithful in a little, in very little, is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been a, a faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant serves two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Would you pray with me? Lord in heaven, I thank you so much for your word this morning. It is powerful and wonderful. You show your face to us. You, you teach us your ways, Lord. Your word is life to our bones, Lord. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just open up our hearts to receive it this morning. Lord, I, I, I pray that you would, some of the discussion is, is going to be difficult for some of us to hear, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just move us, Lord, to what you would have, Lord, that we'd be able to surrender to you, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that you would communicate through me, Lord, I know and I'm inadequate. By your spirit, Heavenly Father, teach us, each and every one, in the name of Jesus, amen. There's a lot of different things going on here and a lot of different things to, to unravel. And I imagine you're reading some of this and, and some of it's not making sense. So I just want to, let me bring a little bit of clarity here. First off, I think the first thing you're thinking is, what is he talking about unrighteous wealth? What is he talking about about unrighteous wealth? And really what he's saying here is not focusing on the idea that the, the wealth was gained in the wrong manner, although there's a lot of dishonesty happening, but he's talking about worldly wealth. And in the context, um, you can make a diff couple different arguments, but the one that makes the most sense, because he talks about the wealth just failing and that wealth just ending, he's really talking about the wealth that we look at here on this earth at this time, right? Worldly wealth. In fact, some translations in the NLT, they actually translate it as worldly wealth instead of the unrighteous wealth because what's happening is, is is what you have here is not really the godly wealth it's not wealth that actually enters into eternity you're not taking any of this stuff with you right i mean let's just be honest if bill gates was a christian um and i don't really know uh the man but if he was uh we'll we'll all be sitting at the same table in heaven right wealth does not follow you and so he's saying in this passage that you need to take what you have 
in this world and utilize it appropriately. You are the manager. You are the manager. He's talking about disciples. He's talking to the disciples. He's also doing a little bit of a jab here to the unhealthy, quote-unquote, righteous Pharisees. But he's calling us to see us as managers of the great resources, the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And that's pretty powerful. So I'm going to break this down into the three main things, right? Jesus is telling us that the money, this worldly money we have, is not ours. And not only is it not ours, but we got to give it away. And not only do we got to give it away, but we need to be intentional about the results. The results matter. So let's start there with the first thing, that the money is not ours. The manager is not the owner. God is the one who's owning it, right? There's this rich, uh, wealthy man in the story, and basically we see that his wealth is actually a lot of money, right? He's got a lot of different resources, and we're talking about an agricultural society, right? And so the way you would like make your accounts, right, is on the harvest times, they would break out the ledger, and they would see what they harvested, and they would say, how much you owe me, and make those trades there. And in this, we see these different, these different uh, accounts that he ended up being very very shrewd with and kind of dishonest with, right? We're talking about discounts that he made that would actually be like years, like two years worth of a discount, right? This, this rich guy, he makes, he's got a lot of resources. He's so busy. He's got so many things going on that he has to pay somebody full time to kind of oversee these accounts and run them for him. And the manager is handed the keys to the money. He makes the deals. He makes the agreement. He keeps tabs of everything. And you are that manager. And that's, 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 we're saying something big here, right? God values us. He sees something in us. He wants to use us for his benefit. And he allows us to take this money and manage it for him to take this wealth, to take our possessions, all these different things for him. But that's the key. If you're the manager, you're a hired hand, it's not your money. It's not yours. Even though it oftentimes comes from your work and your blood, sweat, and tears, right? Uh, when I first moved into the house we're in now, we got a, a, a the, the, there was a swimming pool that came with it. And it basically was not functional. It was so lopsided that the water would spin around, but it would never, it would be, you know, basically spilling out on one end, but wouldn't even touch the filter on the other end. This, this really ugly looking above ground pool. 
And so um, the first full summer we were there, my daughter and I decided we're going to level this whole thing off. And, and, and Bree and I went out there and we worked our butts off. And, and we got a, a new liner and we pulled the whole thing apart and we, we leveled out the ground and lifted everything up. And, and uh, my buddy Tony helped me out. Shout out over there. And, and I have to be honest, it was hot and we were working on this thing, and I'm sweating, and I'm getting calluses on my hands. I'm a pencil pusher. I don't like this kind of work, you know? And, and when we were done, right, I mean, we had really worked hard, and I don't know that I really knew what I was doing here, right? But I'm willing to give it a shot to save myself a couple bucks and go swimming. And, but I remember one thing that just being so fed up with this thing, like we had spent about an hour like tucking in the liner all the way around, you know? And my daughter says to me, it's, it's almost all completed. You know, my daughter says to me, hey, come over and help me out with this. And I left my post and I walked over there and she wasn't holding hers down very, very well. And then all of a sudden I saw the liner just escape all the way around the pool. It happened and I just froze. <laughs> and I'm like, no. And we had to start all over again. But when it was done, it was like, yeah. This is mine. This is mine. This is ours. We put our blood, sweat, and tears in this. I appreciated it. I valued it. I cleaned it. We take care of this thing, right? This is my pool. And would you not know it, but just a couple of days later, my neighbor uh, comes over and complains that it's too loud. And I'm like, this is my pool. This is my pool. And I have to admit, you know, I hadn't replaced the pump and it was loud, you know, and everything, but it didn't matter, you know, and I, I said something nice to him, but when I shut the door, I'm like, I am not going to let the thing run a little bit longer. And when I, I know I probably shouldn't have done that, but my senses did come to me. And what really made me think was, here I am in a new community, and my greatest hope when I moved in here is that I would make some friends. And me being a pastor and a Christian, I thought too, like not only would I make some friends, but I would have a, hopefully a good influence on people, and maybe they could see Christ in me. And here I am, flipping out about my pool. Right? How many things do we put our backs into? And we're not even thinking about our neighbors. We're not even thinking about the way we could actually use it. We say, it's mine. It's mine. I earned it. It's not yours. It's not yours. And I ended up going out and buying a different pump. And it really wasn't that much money. And the thing quieted down. And people come over and swim all the time now, right? When we actually see ourselves where we're supposed to be, just like we talked about last week, when we see ourselves down here in status, in need of a Savior, and Jesus becomes Lord of our lives, and we see ourselves and our resources and all that we are as His, we become powerful people, agents of the gospel. We become individuals that actually look like Jesus. But only when we see that it is not ours, but his, 
our time, our homes, our cars, our finances, all these different things. Jesus is saying here, it's not yours to begin with. And guess what? When you turn it over to him, he does something greater with it than you could possibly do yourself. He turns it into something more beautiful. He takes that which will not survive and makes it last for eternity. That's awesome. You know? We think we can best manage our resources. We think we can best do it if we hang out to it ourselves. That's ridiculous. A couple of months ago, I was preaching here and I was excited about what I was putting together and I had this song that I thought really went well and it was one of my favorite songs and I'm sitting there plucking at it trying to figure it out you know blah 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 blah. and about you know a couple hours into trying to learn this song I realized like why am I trying to learn this song I need to take this idea give it to Dan and his wife and let them knock it out of the park right and they did and it was one of the best, it was one of the best uh, illustrations. I remember that, that time of worship and people responding to it. He took it and he made something out of it that I could never do. And that's what it is with our wealth. Our wealth, right? You take it, you give it to him, it's his anyway. And man, what he can do with it. And you're not married, you're not, you're not made to carry all that around. This is, this is not our weight. It's his. It's freedom to give it over to him. Because it's not yours. We're just finding ways to manage it. We're just directing it here on earth as we listen and pray and follow after him. It's not yours. And that means we're supposed to give it away, right? He tells us the whole idea of the story. This is what he says in, in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Says, I tell you, make friends of yourselves or make friends for yourselves by means of the unrighteous or worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. Here's what he's saying here. I want you to go out and I want you to take your resources. I want you to take the things that I have given you and I want you to use it to warm people's hearts for the gospel. Go and make friends. He's basically saying here, stop building up your treasures here, but build up your treasure in heaven. And what is that treasure in heaven? It's these friends that you're talking about. Imagine, imagine the day of reckoning, the day when we go and we see our Lord face to face and you're walking and through the pearly gates of heaven and it's filled with these friends who've been impacted with the gospel. Their lives, their eternities have been changed because of you and the way you manage the wealth God gave you. Think about it. Think about it. This is what's celebrated here, not the dishonesty. This is what's celebrated. This is what Jesus is talking about. Give your resources away. Do it to bless other people. Because when you do this, 
It paves the way for the gospel. It warms people's hearts. It helps them to see the face of God, his character that he is loving, his character that he is a provider, his character that he desires them, his character that he is trustworthy, that he owns it all. And that only happens when we take what we have and we don't hold it on to ourselves and we give it away. Now, the Bible is really clear that the wealth that he gives us is to be used in lots of different ways to honor God. It it takes care of our own needs. It takes care of our families. There's even areas in our lives that we can celebrate and just enjoy what God has given us, right? I'm not suggesting to you that this passage is saying you need to take a vow of poverty. Absolutely not. But what it is saying is a real recognition of what we have and who we are is all the Lord's resources. And how are we using it to make new disciples for Jesus Christ? To be filling heaven with new people. This is our calling This is our mission. You know, when the church first got started, right, and the resurrection happened, and Jesus Jesus ascends into heaven, and his disciples stand there at the the holiday of Pentecost, and people were were making a pilgrimage in to the city, and there was all these different uh, people like uh, that spoke different languages and things like that. And, and Peter got up there and the disciples got up there and they preached the gospel. They shared the good news and people started responding to it. They started to hear it and it started to make sense to them, right? And it just, it opened up in their hearts, right? 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus Christ. It says that 3,000 people were baptized that day. And that was awesome, right? And I've always, you know, I, I, if you think about this, why in the world did Jesus not say, all right, come home with me? Why didn't they ascend right then, right? Well, it, it's almost a sick joke and say like, here, I am your savior but you got to wait. You got to wait 80 more years. You got to wait. You got to just kind of muscle through, survive this world. Yeah, that's ridiculous. God's much more purposeful than that. It was a revolution. It was a, it was a movement. 3,000 people. And that movement continued. You, you read through the book of Acts, it isn't just a few moments later that it's 5,000 people, then it's 10,000 people. The movement just kept going because those people told their friends, they told their families, they showed them, they cared for them. It says they sold things and blessed them. They took their resources and made sure the people weren't in need. And it said God was adding to their numbers every single day because God was using them. They were the ministry of the gospel. They were the plan 
plan of restoration for the world. When Jesus ascended into heaven, the movement became us. We are the movement of God. We are the answer. We are the proof of the resurrection of the dead. And he's left us here for that purpose. You are part of the restorative work that is transforming this world. In fact, the Bible goes as far to say that you are plan A. There is no other plan. You are here in this life right now not to try to make sure you got a good job and you got a good retirement and you got good friends and all those different things. Not to make sure that your family is taken care of and that you are comfortable and that things are kind of all set up and everything. You remain remain just basically healthy so that you survive this world in the best way possible. No, you are here to change this world. If not, it's a sick joke. That's our calling. And it happens. We warm the hearts for people, for the gospel, when we give our resources. when we think about what we have and we use it for the glory of Jesus Christ, then and only then are you buying in to what you were made for. This is pretty awesome. This is our plan. Other than that, it's, what's the meaning? What is the purpose A couple of uh, weeks ago, I was coming home from the from uh, Baltimore, and uh, it was more than a few weeks ago. But the the fog was really thick out Bachman Valley Road, and it was later, and I couldn't see very well. But I saw this kind of out in the distance. This, I didn't know what it was, you know. And I'm thinking, great, I'm gonna, you know, hit a deer or something, you know. And so I, I. I, I, I realized my, my lights were on too bright, so I turned my lights down and I flipped my fog lamps up. Yep, the minivan has fog lamps. It's, this, is a, this is a top-notch minivan, right? And, and the, the, fo- the fog just kind of, it, it was almost like it parted for me so I could see. And you know what it was? It was some dude with like a black outfit checking his mail. <laughs> You're going to die. <laughs> And because I saw him, though, I'm able to slow down. I'm going to pull around, you know, everything and avoid the whole thing. And, and this, this is what Jesus is trying to get across to us. When we give of our resources, when we take what we have and we invest it in the lives of others and we build these relationships, it's like you are opening, you are like pulling the fog away so they can hear so they can see who Jesus is, so that they can, they can experience his touch. And notice, notice the, the friends here. He doesn't talk, he's not talking about the poor. It's, I'm not saying that some of these friends aren't poor. The Bible is really clear that you're supposed to help those people in need, and there's a special blessing in that. But that's not the point of this. He's not saying only help people who are so poor that they don't need it. I don't think these people in the story needed it. What he's saying here, though, is that when you find ways to bless people's lives and give your money away, it peels the fog back. 
and they are warmed for the gospel because they're not just hearing it. They're not just seeing it in your life, but they're experiencing it for themselves. That's the power of your possessions. It's the power of your wealth. It's the beauty of our mission here on this earth. And many of us are thinking, what am I supposed to do with this, right? Okay, so I get I'm supposed to give my resources. I don't really have that much stuff. I don't really have margin in my life to give. I'm, I'm young, right? I'm just starting out. I don't even have my own place. There's all these different reasons why we think that we cannot give. And, and Jesus knows what you're thinking. And this is what he says. He says, he says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. It's not how much you have. It's, it's the heart of it. It's that you would actually see it as Jesus's and use it for the sake of the kingdom. Start where you're at. What are you waiting for? Now is the time. Why are you putting it off? How can you wait any longer? Jesus is saying, when, he, when you're faithful with just a little bit, then you'd be faithful with so much more. Oftentimes, Jesus blesses us for just our small steps, for taking the little itsy-bitsy things that we have now. We're not supposed to wait until we have enough. What is enough anyway? God is saying right here, right now, what do you have? Name it and use it for the glory of Jesus Christ. Because it has power. Imagine if we would just hold on to this. What impact we could have in our community. Imagine if just half of us here truly assessed what we had and found ways to bless our neighbors at a high level. Imagine we're just scratching the surface, I think, as a church. There are some exciting days ahead of us. Be intentional. Know that it's not yours. Make sure that you're giving it away. And then make sure you're being intentional about its results. Look what he says in, in verse 11. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth or the worldly wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches. You see, what he's saying here is, even if you think you're not throwing your money away and you're spending it in some, some well of, a, of, a, uh, of a, a responsible way, doing little with it for the kingdom and not seeing it as Jesus's and not managing it and in this faithful way, it's really saying, it's really saying that you are an actual lover of money. 
He uses the contract between the dishonest manage, the contrast between the dishonest manager and what a, 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 and, the, and the shrewdness of him, right? It doesn't really make sense, but he's, he's not celebrating the dishonesty, but he's saying that, the, the, that the, the shrewdness of this guy is really something to emulate, right? Because even, even though he's, he's dishonest, right, he believes that he's got to take care of himself so much that he's willing to do pretty much anything to try to figure out a quick scheme to, to, to win in the end to take care of what he's got. And that's what Jesus is saying here. If you really want to manage these resources, you need to be shrewd as well. The children of the light need to be just like the children here that have not trusted in Jesus Christ yet. Because we know that people will do almost anything to get ahead. They will do almost anything to get what they had hoped for, to get what they think that they might be deserved. They will work really hard. They'll put in late hours. They will make different trades. They will do different things, right? And God's not saying you need to be dishonest here, but what he is saying, you need to be smart. You need to be perceptive. You need to care about the kingdom and the people around you that they would experience the gospel at such a high level that it just shadows. It just, it just, it just destroys in comparison what other people are doing in the world to gain their wealth. Do you see what I'm saying here? There's a pastor in, um, in Oklahoma who says this. His name is uh, Groeschel. I'll do anything short of sin to reach people for the gospel. I'll be smart. I'll be shrewd. I'll be sharp. I'll be perceptive. I'll think outside the box. I'll find ways to build margin. There's a church this year in Los Angeles, of all places, $5.3 million they gave in medical bills to 5,000 different households in the area. Say what? Imagine that single mother opening the mail and her medical bills were paid for by the local church. Now, I don't know that she needed it per se, but man, did that not just warm her heart for the gospel? Transformed her life. This is the kind of thing that transforms our community. This is the kind of thing that we have to live for. Friends, we've got to get serious about our finances. We've got to know what our resources are. We've got to be intentional about seeing those resources turn into people, to new friends, to new victories in eternity. This means we've got to live with margin. You know, some, I think the number one thing that's holding the church down right now in the United States is the same thing that's holding all Americans down right now is debt. Debt is killing us. Debt is tricking us. Do you know what, and what I'm about to say here, look, uh, my wife and I are going uh, uh, down a road 
where we're trying to get out of debt in three years. We've made some, dip, some what I, I consider not the smartest decisions, gotten some credit card debt, have some other different things going on. I'm being very honest with you guys right now. But in, th- in three years, we have a plan. We've been working on it for a year now that we'd be completely debt-free except for our house. So I'm not telling you this and saying like, hey, you look at me. I'm the guy who's done it in perfection. If anything, I'm a bit of a hypocrite. But I truly believe that one of the things that's holding us back is the debt in the church. Now, not necessarily this church as an institution. This church actually doesn't have any debt as an institution. Did you know last year alone, just, just last year, the credit card company spent $4 billion. $4 billion just advertising to you. Just advertising to you to borrow money from them. $4 bi- that's, a lot of, that's a lot of money. Do you know what that is? That's like saying, taking the entire city of Littlestown, if you want to call it a city, <laughs> the entire town of Littlestown, Let's say, I don't know, do you think there's 20,000 people in our radius here? And buying all of them a $200,000 house. That's how much was spent on just advertising to us. What's in your wallet? Right? (laughs) Not money. Do you know what we spent in credit card interest? This is going to make you sick. This isn't what was spent in transaction fees and different kinds of fees that they charge the companies and things like that. Interest payments last year was $122 billion. That's up 50% more than just five years ago. That's not just, that just rocks us, right? It's because debt is a part of our culture. Debt is something you get into just to get small things. It's the things that we get into for appliances. Uh, we, we take out extra loans. We, we use our credit card to buy simple things. We, we, we get tricked into things sometimes like, ah, oh, if you just make this many easy payments. But what's really happening is they are charging you money for the privilege of spending money. And this is all boiled down to the lust for new possessions because what God is really saying to us is we, we, we need to have margin in our lives and we need to use our money to impact the gospel. All these different bets, all, the, all these different debts that we get into, these contracts we get into, they're actually tying our hands. It's like, put, it's like chains, right? I mean, it's, it's basically chaining our hands. Because when a missionary comes by or something comes up that you want to give to, there's not margin anymore. What's the scripture say about this? Proverbs 27, Proverbs 22, 7 says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. A slave. Because at the end of the month, you can't decide, well, I don't really want to pay that bill right now. No, you have to. They'll come, they'll repossess your possessions. They'll put liens on your home. Guys, it's, it's slavery. It's weighty. This is heavy. Do you know what the average 
car loan is, stretches over like 84 months. It's over $500 a month. In the United States right now, the majority of us with a car loan, the average car loan is over $500 a month. That just blows my mind, right? If you were to take that money, and you know, a lot of us are taught like, well, you know, it's okay to have a car payment over there. A car payment is something that depreciates. The car depreciates. And I'm not here to talk about your house or talk about your car or talk about what you, what you buy or sell. That's not the point. I'm here to ask why. I want us to think about why. And I want us to be aware of, of what God is calling us to when it comes to margin in our lives. Some of us have different loans and different cars and different things that, uh, that are fine and appropriate. That's not, I'm not picking on any one situation. I'm just opening up our eyes to the reality that this stuff is costing us and it's robbing from the Lord. Debt is crippling. If you took a car payment and you paid that from 30 to like 70, you would have saved in a, in a money market with the going rate $5.5 million. And that just blow your mind? You'd be a millionaire. And what the Lord is saying in this passage, what Proverbs is telling you, it's time to let it go. It's time to put your faith in Jesus Christ, even with your money. It's time to give it to him. It's time to put margin in your life. It's time to get out of debt. We've been doing uh, Dave Ramsey. Crown Financial is a great place to go as well. Because the reality is, we can't be tricked as churchgoers anymore. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, possessions, wealth, have wandered away, wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with many griefs. That's what Paul tells us in Timothy 6. Look, guys, this church is a powerful place. I've experienced it. Just a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a check for about $500 for this family that went homeless just all of a sudden. And they, they really wanted to stay out of the state system and they just needed to find a place before they could, you know, they needed some place for a, an intermediate time. And we wrote a, a check so they could stay in a hotel for a little bit because you gave to the Benevolence Fund. And there was money in there to do that. You know, last year, we sent every single volunteer here in the student ministry, whenever they wanted to, to anything that they wanted to go to, corn maze, uh, retreats, anything, so they could go and not worry about the cost. Some of these guys are young guys, right? And they could go. We shipped the, we shipped the students to the events for free. We gave out like 20 different, 20 different uh, um, uh, scholarships so kids that couldn't afford it 
There was no barrier for them here in the gospel at River Valley Ranch, right? And all, and all the different places we go throughout the year. Because you put money into the general fund. We have, we've already raised $18,000 in just a matter of months, right? For over here to put a new uh, playground up for the kids. There's no kid that comes here at VBS and doesn't experience everything we have for them for free. That's awesome. That's awesome. And we're just scratching the surface. A couple of years ago, we were going to the Dominican Republic. The, the missions organization called me and said, there was an accounting error. And I'm sorry to say this, you're $2,000 short. And it's like two weeks before we're supposed to go. Right? And somebody called me up and said to me, hey, uh, I have some margin right now, and I just wanted to, to bless uh, the youth ministry. You guys come over and rake my yard, and I'll give you some money. You know how much it was? $2,000. I mean, that's the providence of God. But that man had margin in his life. We can't live paycheck to paycheck anymore. We've got to consolidate. We've got to make serious decisions. We've got to look. We've got to know what we have and assess it and decide how it can be used at its greatest potential for the name of Jesus Christ. We've got to get shrewd. We've got to get clever. We've got to say this world isn't for us. This world isn't the one we're trying to survive. This world is the one we're trying to change. Guys, we're just scratching. Imagine what we could do. Imagine if you had some margin in your life and you could re re replace your neighbor's lawnmower. Imagine if you had some margin in your life and there was two kids running down the street in your neighborhood and you said, hey guys, there's this awesome camp. I'm going to send you there. And that mom picks up that bill and it's paid for. And you say to them, here, I paid for it. You know, you know Jesus loves you. That would transform them. Their ears would perk up. Who is this Jesus? Where are you when it comes to your finances? If we're going to change this community, it starts with us. It starts with us. It is the Lord's. How can we give it to him? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning, Lord. I pray, Holy Father, that what we said today, Lord, that it would ache on our hearts. Lord, I pray that um, what was said today, Lord, that it would motivate us to trust you more. You are a faithful God. Father, you know the different things that some, some of us need to, to make some commitments, and maybe it's just sitting down with our, our, our wives, our husbands, and, and going through the finances. And asking this, the, the question, how is this for the Lord? Some of us need to, to really sit down and think, I need to come up with a plan. We need a plan to get out of debt so the Lord could use us at a greater level. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this church and everything that it has meant to me and so many more. Lord God, would you continue to use us? May, may our vision be accomplished as we get serious about the resources you've given us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.